At the Canaan Church, our mission is bringing people to Christ and helping every person to become a mature disciple in Christ. Canaan Christian Church, where people dare to dream. I'm going to be teaching today and picking back up with uh, Zechariah. Uh, chapter 6, and I'm going to be teaching from verse 9 through um, verse through the end of the chapter, verse uh, 15. Amen. Uh, so if you look at Zechariah chapter 6, let's begin reading with verse 9. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Receive the gift from the captives from Heldiah, Tobijah, and Jediah, who have come from Babylon, and go and go the same day and enter the house of Josiah, the son of Zephaniah. Take the silver and gold, make an elaborate crown, and set it on the head of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Then speak to him, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold the man whose name is the branch. From his place he shall branch out, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Yes, he shall build the temple of the Lord. He shall bear the glory, and shall sit and rule on his throne. So he shall be a priest on his throne, and the council of peace shall be between them both. Now the elaborate crown shall be for a memorial in the temple of the Lord of Helam, Tobajah, Jediah, and Hen, the son of Zephaniah. Even those from afar shall come and build the temple of the Lord. Then you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and this shall come to pass if you diligently Obey the voice of the Lord your God. Amen. Now, I want to open this teaching today by seeking to deposit into your heart, your mind, and your spirit an attitude of gratitude. On this eve of Thanksgiving, and as I gave prayerful thought as to what I would teach today, and I was wondering if I would have to move away from the book of Zechariah and do something more particular uh, from a biblical text on the eve of Thanksgiving like Psalm 107 or Psalm 105 or Psalm 103. But as I looked at this text and continued to delve deep into it, uh, then I realized, no, I can stay right where I am in the book of Zechariah, which is becoming a spiritual complement to what God is speaking into our lives on Sunday morning as we are talking about the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit, the presence and the power of God in our lives as the people of God. And God is so, so wonderful. Uh, Dr. Carolyn Showell, show enough blessed us Sunday. Yes, she did. And it was amazing how her message tied into what we uh, are receiving from God right now on Sunday morning. And if you did not get her book, I beg you to get it because her book is really speaking about how God is operating and working in the life of his people in the times in which we live with a particular focus on pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit. Pneumatology speaks to us about how God has made himself known to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. And whether <clears throat> you realize it or not, and I hope you do, I promise you, God is real. I promise you, he's real. 
And uh, that statement seems to be so commonplace if you say God is real. But I think a lot of people say it, but they may not have the conviction behind what they say. I think it is possible to say something and it can just be lip talk and not heart conviction. And I, what I'm saying to you is not lip talk. It's heart conviction. I'm telling you, God is real. And so I go from that then to say to you today that you and I really ought to tell the Lord thank you. We, we really should. <laughs> I mean, you, you talk about an attitude of gratitude. You talk about appreciation. You talk about loving him who first loved you. We have so, so, so much to tell the Lord thank you for. And what God would have me to do is to help us to understand the depth of our appreciation. Because what we need to be appreciative for is far greater and deeper than the clothes on your back. Far greater than food on the table far greater than the house you live in, far greater than the job you have that provides you income. Our gratitude and appreciation should be much deeper than that. And what we should be most appreciative for has to do with our salvation, our relationship with God, the presence of God in our lives and what God is purposing to do with you and I as it relates to the ongoing manifestation of his kingdom. Dr. Carolyn Showell put it like this Sunday, if you recall. She said, do you really think God let you live through the pandemic just so you could get dressed up and go to church again. She said, do you think that God let you live through the pandemic so you could keep on living with your life as business as usual? and keep doing now what you were doing before the pandemic that may not have been honoring God or pleasing God. Didn't she say it? Now, I have said something very similar, but I just said it in a different way. And that is, I have said to people that if you lived through the pandemic, you should be asking God, why did you let me stay? And what is it that you want to keep doing through me to glorify your name? Because I came to the conclusion, and I don't know about you, I got the shots, I have worn the mask, but I don't think the mask kept me alive. That's me now. I think what kept me alive is the grace of God. And I don't believe, this is me, neither do I believe that everybody who died and some 900,000 plus people alone died in America. I don't think that everybody who died died because they were irresponsible meaning that they put themselves in harm's way. Therefore, if I'm still here, that means I'm here by the grace of God 
and grace alone. Wouldn't it be both foolish and terrible for me to live now on this side of the pandemic the exact same way I was living on the other side? That could be the height of ignorance. Or the height of arrogance. Because either way you put it, ignorance or arrogance, it means that we have turned a deaf ear to God. But God would have me to tell you, you and I ought to tell him today, tomorrow, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every day next week and every day thereafter if you wake up you are not ought to tell the Lord thank you we ought to say God I'm grateful Lord I appreciate you God I love you that ought to be the cry from our heart and our prayer to God ought to be Lord what do you want to do through me that relates to your kingdom. Uh, our prayer life ought to change and we ought not spend all of our time asking God to give me this and give me that. No, our prayer life ought to start changing and we ought to start praying thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We ought to be praying, God, use me as a vessel in your service. God, what would you have me to do? We ought to be praying, God, help me to be a stronger witness for you. God, put somebody on my path today that I can witness to. God, give me five people whose names I can write down and I'm going after them. God, let your anointing increase in my life so that if I pray for somebody who's sick, they get healed. God, so let your spirit be upon my life to someone who's broken that I can bring wholeness into their life, that I can bring cheer upon their heart. We, we ought to be praying, uh, you know, God, not what can you do for me, but what can I do for you? Am I talking to myself today? Can I show it to you in the text? Because I want you to know that I'm not just speaking off my cuff. I'm all in this Bible. I'm glad I'm still a Bible preaching preacher. Christ-centered preacher. I'm going to stay in the Bible. Hallelujah. Because I told you that when we started studying this book of Zechariah, right? You remember I told you that you can look at it at two levels. One level is you look at the book of Zechariah as a historical documentation that speaks to us about what happened historically with a group of people who became the remnant that had been allowed to leave Babylon, come back to Jerusalem for the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem and the temple. It happened when Darius was the uh, king of Persia and Zerubbabel was the governor. And then Joshua would become the high priest uh, among the remnant that was allowed to come back to Jerusalem. Now that's just looking at it on a historical timeline of what happened in the life of the people of the children of Israel who were allowed to come back to the holy city. They had been in captivity for 70 years, but the prophet Jeremiah told them before they went into captivity that you're going to go into captivity because of your disobedience. But after 70 years, God is going to allow you to come back to the holy city of Jerusalem. When you read the book of Daniel, Daniel gives a prophetic utterance that is in accord with what the prophet Jeremiah had said before they went to the land of the Chaldeans and found themselves in a captive condition. Now that's one level. 
But there's a higher level that when you study the book of Zechariah, the book of Zechariah is a book in the Old Testament that is giving affirmation to the fact that God has a order for his kingdom that he is working out in the world. So that when we study the Bible, we start with the book of Genesis and make our way from Genesis to the book of Revelation, there's what you could call progressive revelation. Progressive revelation, that God is giving us revelation. God is giving us insight to understand his move and operation in the world as we have the capacity to receive it. So God has to help us to receive the revelation. Whatever I know about God today, whatever you know about God today, you only know it because God has revealed it to us. We do not discover God. God has to reveal it to us. Whenever you talk about God, whenever, whenever, if you talk about God as Father, if you talk about God as Son and the person of Jesus Christ, if you talk about God as Holy Spirit, you cannot talk about God without talking about that which is mysterious. God has to reveal so in the Old Testament, we have what is called shadows and types. Shadows and types means it becomes a metaphor. It becomes an illustration of something that's going to take place, but God helps you to, to understand it before it becomes fully realized or manifested. So when God, for example, told Moses to build the tabernacle, he told Moses to build the tabernacle so that the tabernacle would become illustrative of how a redeemed people would relate to him. Because the question throughout the Bible is always, how can a sinful people be in relationship with a holy God? And the answer to that comes in the blessing of Jesus Christ who forgives us for our sins and makes it possible for us to be related to God. So every time the high priest on the day of atonement would take the blood of an unblemished lamb, go into the tabernacle, go past the holy place, go behind the veil into the holy of holies and take that blood and sprinkle it on the mercy seat on the top of the ark of the covenant as a symbol of Israel being forgiven for her sins. It was a foreshadow of another lamb that would one day come into the world and shed his blood so that we could be forgiven and brought are completely into a saving relationship with Christ. Are y'all still on the same page with me? You see, the high priest had to do it what? Every year. Jesus only died once and he didn't have to die no more. But he's the answer to how we relate to God. So when you start with Genesis and make your way through to Revelation, God is giving us insight and understanding. This is who I am. This is who you are. This is how you relate to me. This is my purpose from your life. This is what I'm trying to do through you as I continue to establish my kingdom in the world, in the earth realm where you live in the context of time. And when you get to Revelation, we understand that one day it's going to all be completely finished. Oh yes, when Jesus comes back, yes, every day is going to be like Sunday. And sweet Sabbath will have no end. The crooked road is going to be made straight and the rough place is going to be made smooth. And the lion's going to lay down with the lamb and the weary going to be at rest and the wicked going to trouble no more. And Satan and all of his demons and imps are going to be cast into the lake of fire. And you and I are going to be in a place where it's going to be worship and glory like never before. Hallelujah goes right there. The book of Zechariah is showing us
in the Old Testament how God is working that all out. And it gives us so much reason on this eve of Thanksgiving to just bask in the goodness of God. Look at somebody and just pull an image and say, God is so good to me. Yeah, he's so good to me. Hallelujah. When we get to Zechariah chapter 6, verse 9 through 15, it's bringing closure to the first part, brother boy, of the book of Zechariah. When we pick up next week with chapter 7, we're going to be going into the second part of the book of Zechariah. See, see, the first part is preparing us as it talks historically, Ron, about what God did for the people historically in that day and time. But when you move on to the second part of the book of Zechariah, the second part is focuses more heavily on the coming of the Messiah. And the coming of the Messiah would be in the person of who? Jesus Christ. Are y'all still with me? You see, when you are in Zechariah's position, Jesus has not yet come. Oh, I feel a shout coming in here today. You and I, the blessing that you and I have, see, Zechariah, they were over here. And they're receiving a revelation that there's one called the branch. You read it in the text, right? The branch. Well, who is the branch? Contessa, the branch is Jesus. The branch is the Messiah. The Messiah is Christ, which means the anointed one. They're over here receiving a revelation that the branch is going to come. But you and I, we over here, and we're reading a book in the Old Testament that's talking about what's going to happen, and Robert, it has already happened. So you and I get to look at what has already happened that Zechariah and them was looking in anticipation for, and while we can look over here, and what has already happened that they were anticipating at the same time we can look over here for what is still about to come. So when Carolyn Showell said Sunday that when you read Revelations chapter 3, she says don't fool around and get stuck in yesterday and you cancel out your tomorrow. Don't fool around and get trapped in the past and you ain't got no perspective about your future. I'm going to give you a reason to just shout and act like you're crazy. I'm going to give you a reason. Even if I don't get to finish teaching. If I don't get to finish teaching, it's okay. But I'm going to give you a reason right now to just act foolish about God. Look at somebody and tell them, I'm a part of the remnant. Now, maybe you missed it. See, when you tell somebody I'm a part of the remnant, what you just told them, not only am I still living on this side of the pandemic, I'm living and I am God's representative. I'm living and I'm God's ambassador. The reason I'm alive is God chose to use me as a spiritual reference point. So if somebody wants to know that he's real, if somebody wants to know that he saves, if somebody needs to know that he heals, if somebody needs to know that he delivers, if somebody needs to recognize his presence and his power, all they gotta do is look at me. Because <laughs> I'm his reference point. Brother Step, 
I feel like Marvin Gaye right now. It makes me want to holler and throw up both my hands. Are y'all still with me? Because listen, you see, up until this point, Zachariah Stephanie had received eight visions in one day, but all tied together. So Stephanie, up until this point, what happened to Zachariah has to do with what he saw. But now, it ain't about what Zachariah saw, it's what Zachariah was told to do. <laughs> See, God shows me things, but then God tells me, do things. And if you stay in relationship with him long enough, what you see ought to make you do something. He is told to take gold and silver that's being brought to Jerusalem by three persons who are coming from Babylon. And he's told to take this, these, this gold and silver brought from these three persons, make a crown and put the crown on the head of the high priest Joshua. Now in the Old Testament a priest could not also be a king and a king couldn't be a priest. In the Old Testament, a priest couldn't operate in the role of a king. The king couldn't operate in the role of the priest. That's why Saul, when he was anointed to be the king of Israel, that's why God removed him when out of disobedience, he tried to carry out a priestly function. Because when you're the king, you don't fool around and try to operate in the priestly function. The king didn't play the role of the priest, and the priest didn't play the role of the king. But, but, but Zechariah is told to put this crown on Joshua, the high priest. But when he puts the crown on the head of Joshua the high priest, this is symbolic of someone else who is greater than the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament and someone who can be both priest and king at the same time. And he's referred to in the book of Zechariah as the branch. But the branch, Contessa said, is the Messiah. And the coming Messiah is going to be the Christ. Now, in the early part of chapter 6, God gave affirmation that his spirit is going to guarantee and assure this remnant that they will be victorious in the holy city, that they will rebuild the city and rebuild the temple. That they ain't got to worry about the attack from the north. God says, I got your back. And so it was God who said to Zerubbabel, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. Put a pen there and I'm going to pull it out in about two minutes. Now, uh, when Zechariah is told to go do this concerning the priest, but the priest becomes symbolic of a person greater than him because he becomes symbolic of the branch, that there's going to be a temple that is going to be built a temple that is going to be greater than the temple that Zerubbabel is going to rebuild in Jerusalem. 
But this temple is not being built by Zerubbabel and it's not going to happen because of the high priest Joshua, but this temple is going to be built by the one to come who is the branch. So now turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, and I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 16, and beginning with verse 18, Matthew 16, verse 18. Now the context here is Jesus has asked the disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And then finally Jesus goes on and says, okay, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says to Jesus, he says, you are the Christ um, and um, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, uh, blessed are you, Simon, by Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Again, you don't discover God, God reveals himself to you. And then after Peter makes this acclamation, then this is what Jesus says to Peter. He says, and to the disciples, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Jesus says he's going to build what? His church. Come on, Jesus says he's going to build what? His church. Come on, you got to get this. Jesus says he's going to build what? His church. His church is the church, is the temple that's greater greater, greater than the temple that was rebuilt in Jerusalem under Zerubbabel. His temple, his church is greater. Now the question then is, what is his church? Where is his church? Where do we see his church? This is a beautiful building that we have worship in. We didn't build this facility. It was built by Southeast Christian, and we bought it from them. I built a beautiful church facility on Dixie Highway, beautiful on Dixie Highway. But we no longer worship in that building, and we haven't worshiped in that building. We have not worshiped in that building for over 20-plus years. And now we worship in this building. Does that not tell you something? It should be clear and clear that the church today does not have her truest expression or her highest expression in a church facility or a church edifice. This building, as beautiful as it is, is not the church. And Jesus says, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. Who is his church? Talk to me. We are his church. We are the church that he has built. We are the church that he is establishing. We are the church that he is expanding. We are the church that God is manifesting in the world. We are his church. And, and if you're saved, my God from Zion, if you're saved, I don't mean if you're churchy. If you are saved and you are a part of the Lord's church, child of God that ought to make you want to holler can we take about a 10 second praise break Amen. hallelujah I'm talking about Renee this is on the eve of Thanksgiving this is the day before Thanksgiving and I can tell somebody I'm a part of the Lord's church? Don't you know everybody can't say that? 
And if you can say it, you ought to bless his name. What did God tell Zerubbabel? Not by might, not by power, but what? By my spirit, saith the Lord. So now I want you to turn to the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 24. And I want you to look at verse 49. Luke chapter 24, verse 49. Sister Mills, you may want to take Gilbert by the hand because I'm mighty afraid he's going to just strike out running all over there in about five or six seconds. Just try to hold him. Are y'all there? Now what did God tell Zerubbabel? Not by might, not by power, but what? By my spirit. God was telling Zerubbabel, you're going to rebuild the city and you're going to rebuild the temple. But the only way you're going to do it, Zerubbabel, is I got to work through you. And I'm going to do it in the power of my spirit. Not by might, not by power, but by my what? By my spirit. We just testified that Jesus is the branch. He is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the anointed one. And he said, upon this rock, I'll build what? My church. We just testified that his church is what? Us, right? And Jesus gave a commission to his church, did he not? After he was resurrected from the grave, what did he say to his church? He says, so I'm going to give you a, a great commission. Go into all the world, make disciples, what? Of every nation. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I'll be with you always, even until the end of the world. Jesus says, I'm going to give you a mission. I'm going to give you a mandate. I'm going to give you marching orders. I'm going to give you a vision. I want you to be my representatives, and I want you to go out throughout the world and help transform the world. I want you to reach the world on my behalf. Isn't that what he said? I want you to reach the world on my behalf. Because God expects, God expects his church to grow. He expects his church to thrive. He expects his church to be powerful, to be strong, and to be life-changing. Isn't that what he expects? So look at what Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, verse 49. What he says to us is the same thing he said to Zerubbabel. Look at what he said. Behold... I send the promise of my father upon you. Now when he says, I, I send the promise of my father upon you. Teresa, what is Jesus making reference to? The Holy Spirit. I, I, there's a promise I told you. I gotta go, because if I don't go, the comforter cannot come. But if I go, I promise you, I'm not going to leave you like an orphan. But I'll send the paracletos. I'll send the comforter. I'll send the one who will stand by you. I will send you the spirit of truth. He will abide in you, live in you, always and forever. That's what he's making reference to. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. And then listen to what he says. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Malone translation, go to Jerusalem. Don't do nothing and don't say nothing until you get the power. Now Luke who wrote the gospel of Luke is the one who also wrote the book of Acts. And he tells us that on the day of Pentecost, he says that Jesus fulfilled that promise. And they were up, 
stairs in the upper room on one accord in prayer. A church that will be spiritually one will be a powerful church. But if we want to have oneness, we better learn how to come together and pray together. And while they were in prayer, Carolyn Showell says, a sound came in the room. Her, her first chapter in her book is entitled, The Importance of a Pneumatological Education. Don't be afraid of words. Pneumatological is a long word that means pneumatology, which means a study of the Holy Ghost. Carolyn says, you cannot be an effective church if you don't understand who God is. And particularly today as Holy Spirit. Because if you don't understand who he is as Spirit and if you don't seek him as Spirit, you, go, you ain't going to have power. You're going to be spiritually impotent. Paul says it like this when he writes to Timothy. He says they have a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. They look churchy but they ain't got no God. And I think that could be characteristic of a lot of churches today. But God wants us to have the power. So on the day of Pentecost, the Spirit of God came came in like a mighty rushing wind and fell upon them like cloven tongues of fire. You and I are God's representatives in the world. So now turn to the book of Hebrews. Turn to Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7. Are you there? Look at verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace without father, without mother, without genealogy, neither having beginning of days, no end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now, what did I tell you seven minutes ago? In the Old Testament, a priest could not be a king, and a king could not be a priest. But there is this strange figure in the book of Genesis, this strange person, Melchizedek, who operates in both offices, Robert. He operates in the office of king and he operates in the office of priest. A strange person. That's the one that Abraham saw after his victory in battle, of whom Abraham gave a tenth to Melchizedek. Now go over to verse 14 and it's in chapter 7 of Hebrews. Look at verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord, now he's talking about who? Jesus. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. See, in order to be a priest in the Old Testament, you had to come from the tribe of Levi. Jesus, when you trace his genealogy, he comes out of the tribe of Judah, the tribe of the lion, the tribe of praise. You couldn't be a priest if you were born in the tribe of Judah. You had to come from the tribe of Levi. The writer says Jesus didn't come from the tribe of Levi. He, he came from Judah. And it is yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest 
who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is a priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. And the thesis of the book of Hebrews has to do with the superiority of Jesus, that Jesus is superior to the law, he's superior to the prophets, he's superior to Moses, he's superior to the angels, and he is superior to the Levitical priesthood. Because he's a priest with an endless life after the order of Melchizedek which means that Jesus is both our king and our high priest. He's both our blessed redeemer and he's also our great high priest. And he's the one who enables us to live with power, to operate with power. He's the one who operates in us, in the person and the power of the Holy Spirit. So as I hurry to a conclusion, beloved on this eve of thanksgiving, you best believe that God is real, that God is working in the world in which we live. I said God is working in the world in which we live. I will tell you God is moving in the world in which we live and he wants to move through you. He wants to move through me and what greater joy could you and I have that the God who's God by himself always has been, always will be. Not only did he save us, but he chose us and called us and said, I want to use you to help save, heal, strengthen, and deliver and change the lives of other people. And the reason why we've got to come to understand God as Holy Spirit is because the only way that happens is we have to be available. We have to be available. We have to be sensitive to his presence. And we've got to desire his presence. We have to want it. Jesus said, and greater works than these shall I do. Shall you do rather. Because I go back to my father. And whatever you ask in my name, he's going to grant it. That used to put me in a quandary for a long time. Jesus, you open up blinded eyes, you unstuck deaf ears, you cause the lame to walk. You raise the dead, and you're talking about I'm going to do greater. And then the Holy Ghost says, you will, but it won't be you. <laughs> he said, it's going to be me working through you. I need you to be a vessel of honor fit for the master's use. So the Bible says God will not dwell in an unclean house. My friend Noel Jones says God ain't going to live with what he died to get rid of. You and I haven't been saved, beloved. We have not been saved to be churchy. We've been saved to be a Christian, which is Christ's representation in the world. And so I want to encourage you that tomorrow, as you eat that turkey and that ham and the turnip greens and the candied sweet potatoes and the macaroni and cheese and the corn and the tomatoes and chopped up onions with vinegar on it and the hot water cornbread and when you chase it 
with uh, sweet tea. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. And when you top it all off with banana pudding and chocolate cake with ice cream on it and peach cobbler, when you do all of that, just talk to yourself and tell yourself, I can't just go through the motion anymore. I can't go through the motion anymore. I got to present myself to God and let the Lord use me. And God, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart that you saved me. And I have the blessing of being a part of the Lord's church and God, your movement in the world. And Canaan, let's turn Louisville upside down for Jesus. I wish I had five people who could believe with me that we can save this whole city. I wish I had five people, five, who could believe that, that God would use us this sanctuary is going to be running over. We're going to be sitting people in the Family Life Center. We're going to be sitting people in the chapel. We're going to be seating people in the fellowship hall uh, at, at 10 o'clock because they all can't get in here. I wish I had five people who could believe that. Because I'm telling you, that can happen. If we'll just present ourselves before God, can we thank God for what we're about to receive and for what we're about to do? The people represent the church no matter where we are. So stay connected and reach others as we grow in Christ.